When you were a child, do you remember what, when you first became interested in fashion or were you even interested in fashion? Did you like wearing clothes? Did you read magazines? I came from St Andrews. No, we weren't interested in fashion in terms of a kind of economic system and, uh, you know, uh, the, the business of fashion. Mm. We were interested in clothes. We were completely neurotic about uh, thrift and, you know, I was, I lost my prefect badge for wearing a coat that was too long, you know, the, the, you know, I was interested in the kind of power of clothes. Um, and yeah, I, I loved, you know, I was, I loved indie music and all the kind of image and clothes that went with that, God help me. Um, <laughs> and, but it was all about music and I was much more interested in reading biographies of Andy Warhol when I was 15 than Coco Chanel and finding out how, um, you know, Nico dressed. You know, it's a very, it's a university town. So from the age of 13, 14, we were all at the, you know, <laughs> crashing student parties and kind of, you know, you know, breaking into student events and things like that. So we were mixing with people that were much older than us and skinny dipping and bonfires <laughs> and underage drinking on the golf course. And, you know, it's quite a wild place because it's so safe that parents aren't particularly um, controlling of their children and, you know, seances in the graveyard and, you know, it, it, it was, we, we, you know, no curfews. It was quite, it wasn't feral, but it was, it was, um, it was, it was really alive. Um, and I was really lucky to the extent that actually by the time I went to university myself I was meeting all these people and thinking they were really boring, you know, Done like or just kind of really naive mm. um, Does that sound Supercilious it probably was a wee bit, but you know, what are your ambitions then? Yeah, I came from a single parent family and my mum had made loads of sacrifices to get us all to university whatever happened uh, so I felt a lot of responsibility to her probably and uh, I came from a really uh, a comprehensive school but full of girls that had been raised by actually I mean, can't say my mum was a second wave feminist but mm. some of our mothers were and we were really politicised and we were really engaged with it and we felt that we had to do well and don't forget that if you were in a secondary school during when sort of 85 86 87 we were just all being told that we weren't going to get jobs and that we were going to be on YTS yeah. schemes and the unemployment was rising and it's going to be doubly difficult for girls. So we were really driven and I think I, for a long time I did what I thought I was meant to do, which was to do my degree, to do my first postgraduate, to do my uh, museums course, to do my PhD. I was kind of motoring towards a very particular goal and it actually wasn't until I stopped that and actually joined Show Studio that actually I realised what was for me rather than what I sort of ought to do. Has your notion of what you're good at changed since then? Because I was going to ask later what you think your greatest skill is. And is it still God, that that's such a difficult question. I know, I'm um, sorry. <laughs> um, well, I, I'm all, I actually, I get bored if I don't feel in awe of something or somebody. Uh, so actually probably my propensity is more to work out what I'm terrible at. So I, I, it's really for somebody else to say. Um, I'm analytical and I'm very precise. I've got a really strong opinion and it's probably got even stronger since I've worked in print. Um, and um, I'm dogged and I work really hard and I'm aware to, I'm able to take direction and I can just about take criticism. Just about.
Let's talk a little bit more about um, your career, because I'm interested, you know, we, we've skipped a little bit, and I want to go back to talking about when you were working at the Fawcett Library, because I'm just incredibly jealous. Personally. Yeah, that was a great time. Tell me about, about being exposed to all those titles, and now obviously you have the collection of your own, but tell me... Well, remember, I wasn't the librarian, mm. so I wasn't in charge of all those magazines. But were you but pouring through them? Yeah, of course I was, because that was the collection on which Cynthia White's seminal women's magazines book was mm. based, 1970 book when people first started thinking about women's magazines. It was amazing. It had mm. uh, the earliest women's magazines. It had Mary Wollstonecraft. You know, it was just, it's a fantastic resource. It wasn't, you know, you probably imagine all these kind of researchers in this kind of cool environment. You know, it was a very different culture and you know, I think that I seemed like an alien to them. So I've just described myself as quite green and very kind of academic and quite serious coming in and earnest coming into show studio and I was. But previously me coming from the National Museum of Photography into them, I remember the first day I walked in and the archivist looked underneath my eyelashes and said, are you wearing mascara? <laughs> I mean, you just don't think that, that they, they, they weren't a separatist library, but there were some separatist women that used it and you needed to make arrangements for it. Mm. It was quite a, quite a culture. You know, you talk about the gentlewoman as wanting to do lots of things in the context I think that you felt that other magazines weren't doing. And they're important things, like speaking to women warmly. And I think with that implies that other magazines weren't. Also the implication with that is you're speaking to your to women as a reader rather than a consumer. Mm. And I think that's a very glib thing to say, but a really important distinction. You know, when you open up our magazine, you're not met with sh a sea of shopping pages or just mm. like, buy this, <laughs> like that, no. You know, I, I like the fact, I'm very proud of the fact that, that those important, uh, commercially important pages in terms of the kind of geography of a magazine are uh, given over to conversation and mm. not selling. Um, you know, I think there are very few magazines that probably would give a double page spread to a loaf of bread. Um, <laughs> do you find now that when you read other women's magazines, do you feel, you've talked before about disappointment, and I am using things you've said in other interviews against you now. Yeah, how but I, <laughs> I think there's something interesting in that though, because I feel like, you know, it shouldn't be new or revolutionary to have a magazine that celebrates women rather than kind of tries to make them aspire to be something that they perhaps cannot be. And do you feel that still? Do you ever look at other magazines now? And I'm sure you have lots of peers in the industry who you hugely respect, but look at the titles they produce and, and not understand why they're producing something that would make women feel that way. It would have been very easy for me to say, as a kind of lover of certain magazines, when I say I was, when I was online, and I didn't even know how little I did, I, I knew about producing a magazine, to say, you know, women's magazines should be better, but now that I've done it, I realise you can you can you can make magazines better, and you can actually make other magazines better because they start to copy you. Um, uh, <laughs> so we're uh, you know we ha we sell ninety six thousand issues twice a year, so we don't have the circulation of you know a, a mass magazine, but you can make a difference. It's just much harder work. Um, obviously, before you were editor of the Gentlewoman, you were you worked at Show Studio, this website, for a number of years. Um, and you left that position to go and be Chair of Fashion Imagery at the London College of Fashion. Tell me a bit about what sparked that decision to leave Show Studio and to go back into academia and education. Um, I didn't want to go and work for a competitor. I was in love with Show Studio and I didn't want to leave. <laughs> Why did you leave? Just I knew it was time to, you know. And uh, you know, I'd got to the sort of stroppy teenager stage where I probably thought I knew best. So it was time to <laughs> let my parents find a new editor, you know. And no, you know, we'd, I've worked for seven years. Yeah. It was a long time. I'd done a lot of projects, and uh, 
you know, I, I thought it was, and I started thinking, well, maybe I'll do some of my own projects, which I did, and I really enjoyed doing it, but not as much as when I was in show studio on the phone going, yeah, no, 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 and letting other people finish my sentences and come back to me better than I could do it myself. I, I, the lesson was that I thought I was more greedy about my own authorship and I'd like things with my name at the bottom and they were just mine. And by leaving, I learned that I just wanted to be working on the best project that wasn't necessarily my own. Mm. Um, and I wanted to be around clever people. I was, I was with clever people at the college, but you know, the, the, the amazing thing about fashion, of course, is everybody thinks we're all you know, idiots and actually the most intelligent people that you're ever going to meet work in this industry because everybody wants their jobs and they've got to be the best they could possibly be, otherwise they'd be out. Do you think that's still the case? Do you ever, I'm interested, I don't know how much you have this, but whether when you're interacting with younger people that are coming into the industry, and I think people talk frequently, and it's a kind of a tired debate about how democratised fashion has become, but I think there's a lot of people who come into fashion now, perhaps even more because they, they're interested in shopping or product or... We all know what we're getting into because there's reality programmes about it, etc. But then at the same time, we both know that actually the people that are any good in this industry are not at the parties because they're working. Mm. Mm. Uh, and they're not dressed up like in fancy dress, you know, because they're serious about clothes. Mm. Uh, and, you know, um, they don't regard themselves as models. There has been a huge proliferation of those, those people who make a career in fashion off their looks or off their wardrobe. And do you ever find yourself at events where you are seen as a peer to those people and find that quite, not well, difficult, that sounds very intellectually snobby, but do you, f do you find a sense of kind of less in common with the people in your same industry? Well, I am a peer of those people and, and um, I don't look down on it because I'm just interested in characters. It's not like, um, the reason I work on the magazine is because I love interesting women and some of them might be interesting women so it's not like I'm sitting there thinking how dare you besmirch my profession because <laughs> I'm not there as an editor I'm still there because I love the subject and and also let's remember I've done lots of different jobs around this subject I've been a curator mm. I've been a writer um, I've been a website editor I've been a magazine editor I've you know it's not like I'm I just want people to see me as the best journalist and any other meagre journalist that I don't think are doing a good job kind of somehow undermine mm. me. That's not the way I see it at all. I want to take things in a slightly different tack and there's something that you mentioned in a previous interview pertaining to the gentlewoman where you said sometimes the biggest part of your work is trying to persuade women that you want to be in the gentlewoman to be in the gentlewoman because yes. often they don't want to be in a fashion magazine. Tell me more about that, because that must be incredibly frustrating to kind of have to undo other people's work in a way. It's a, it's a really important thing to do, though, um, in that any fool can make a 15-year-old look good in a sample. You know, let's put that to the side. The mm. real work is making women look great and feel confident uh, in clothes that weren't designed for their bodies. Um, and add to that in terms of commissioning unexpected women to be in your scientists or I don't know an astronaut of course they're going to hear so you're a woman's magazine now what does that call to mind they're like that so you'd like to photograph me now they've got they're already they're thinking how they're going to be represented mm. first of all they're not going to be get, have an option of wearing their own clothes they're going to think you're going to force me into something that I don't really like and I feel really com un uncomfortable and then I sit on the set and the stylist comes over and the hair and makeup and everybody's watching thinking oh god she's really big or you know whatever mm -hmm. that's what they think they're going to have to go through 
uh, and then they're going to get onto the set and they don't really like the pictures and and then they're going to go back into the profession and they're going to be at the conference where they're representing you know women in neurology and they're, they're going to think that their male colleagues are saying <laughs> do you see that picture of her in that women's magazine they're mm -hmm. going to think they're going to undo all the work that they did in their career by associating with fashion that fashion you know that they're actually vain and vapid after all don't forget their fields medal or whatever it was that they got or their nobel peace prize you know, uh, nomination. They were in the women's pages of a newspaper and they looked foolish. You know, so that's what happens as soon as I ring up. They've got that like, don't go, don't, 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 don't do it. So my job is to, of course, show them the magazine. Hopefully they see that they're in a safer pair of hands than that. I've also read you say in previous interviews how, you know, naturally the Gentleman's a feminist magazine because it's made by feminist people, which I think is a really smart way of putting that, you know, what, not wanting to make feminism an aesthetic or to sort of... Um, well, it's just not a magazine about feminism. Yeah, it's a feminist We just assume magazine. that the people we work with would like to, you know, respect equality of, mm. in, you know, in terms of ethnicity, in terms of, you know, economically, mm. you know, the, those are just the kind of... I'm Scottish, you know. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I'm very interested in the pop feminist debate, but I don't commission things um, about that. Yeah, You might say, say the essays that we do about modern manners, <coughs> about women in public toilets, <laughs> or women in drinking alone at the bar, Make or um, in this issue, uh, we've done women in hosting. It's not really women and, it's yeah. just about hosting. Um, those are about the politics of modern life, and I'm kind of more interested in doing it that way than to try and kind of hitch our wagons to a kind of fashionable debate because it just seems like common sense to me. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about it. You know, would you like equal pay? Uh, you know, obviously. <laughs> thank you, yes. <laughs> it's interesting because you talk about this idea of wanting to work with people who share the same values and just, you know, I've always wondered about, about the cover that you shot with Angela Lansbury with Terry Richardson because I think some people would have seen that as a, as a strange fit for you. Um, was, it, was it a difficult decision to work with him? No, absolutely not. Um, uh, he'd done amazing images of his own mother and I knew he'd take really respectful pictures of her. Um, no, I think he did really nice pictures for us in, in that story. Mm. Yeah, I think the pictures are beautiful, but were you worried about the message that it would send? That, um, you know, the aesthetic is more important than... It was, well, it was a couple of years ago and it was preceded a lot of the discussion that's being had at the moment. Um, all I can judge is the way that he conducted himself on that set, yeah. which was extremely respectfully. And, um, you know, I, I have to take it at face value. I mean, if, if any of our photographers were uh, known to misbehave, we wouldn't want to work with them. But um, Terry Richardson had a long-standing relationship with our company through obviously taking pretty cheeky pictures for Butt magazine yeah. and photographing for Fantastic Man and The Gentlewoman. And um, he did an amazing job in that context. You know, um, I'm aware of the debate. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't want to kind of fan the f flames of it. But I don't think it's helpful to uh, confuse somebody's personal conduct on set with the content of their images. You know, I, I think that I, I'm, I'm all for happy, fun, go for it pictures of sex in fashion. I'd much rather see those than pictures of passive 15-year-olds in uh, CD hotel rooms being sort of spied on by photographers. I'm not interested in that kind of photography. I'd rather see kind of going for it people with sexual content. That's personal taste. I'm interested in the idea of the passive woman because I think that's one thing that's really interesting 
with the gentleman, you've said this before, you know, it's never about fantasy, it's never about making this, a woman this kind of othered creature. You know, for, for us, yeah. I mean, I can see when it's done extremely well elsewhere, but for us, no, it's, we, we, for the most part, and if we can achieve it, you can't always, I'd like to depict women doing stuff. 